Hello, and welcome to the Should I Go See a Podcast, where every other Friday we take a deeper dive into the one-sentence reviews on shouldigoseeit.com. This week, we'll be discussing Bodies, 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 Beast, and 13 Lives. I'm your host, Bill George. With me, as always, AJ Rebecca and super producer Craig Stanton. What's up, fellas? What's going on, Bill? Gentlemen, hello and welcome. How have you been, AJ? Uh, not good, Bill. Uh, we were talking before we started. One of the downfalls of having a small child um, is you get constantly and consistently hitting the groin. Um, ah. And I am mm. out of commission from a like a six punch in a row Roku remote and then a dog mule kick to my groin last night. And I am not feeling good. But you know what? I'm here with you. Um and that's all that matters. AJ, I feel like I, I feel like I sense a theme. I feel like every podcast I ask you how you're doing and it tends <laughs> not to be positive. <laughs> yeah, I mean like this I'm it's bedtime. I I I don't even have a drink with me. I'm tired, I'm bloated. I'm just yeah, I'm just a fucking yeah, mess. Just, how are you? How's your car? This, this is this is great. I'm really excited for this episode <laughs> to spend this time with you, AJ. Uh, my car is fantastic. Thank you very much. I don't have a child, uh, but I cherish this car Jesus as if it is Christ. one. Uh, I was, yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I can't. I don't remember driving anything else, frankly. I hear that Elon Musk uh, changed the pricing for self-driving and the other add-ons. Yeah, some prices went up. That is true. Uh, but the the full self-driving is not worth it. It wasn't worth it at 12. It's certainly not worth it at 15,000. Did the price uh, of the zoom around extra juice boost go up that we were discussing? That's exactly what it says in the app store, too. No, I don't think it did. I think that's still the same. I think the enhanced autopilot that does some of the lane changing for you and more in enhanced versions of cruise control, that I think went up a little bit. But I believe my acceleration boost would still be the $2,000 if I so choose to purchase it. You going to do it? Uh, no, I have other things. I have other things that demand my two thousand dollars of attention first <laughs> before I get into that Tesla talk. <laughs> this has been Tesla talk. Yeah. What have you? Uh, what have you been watching? Have you been watching anything lately? I I watched a few things. Um, I watched uh, Uncharted, which is now on Netflix, um, based on the Sony video game of the same name. Should I go see it? Nah, it was trash. I think I got about. 50 minutes in and then I started to doze off I just couldn't do it I feel like Mark Wahlberg is just uh, uh, he's kind of like a like a piece of shit <laughs> in the film or you know him personally or I don't know him personally uh, I just feel like it's a rinse and repeat kind of thing with Mark Wahlberg I'm over it I, I couldn't picture him as Sully and uh, Tom Holland was okay but I, in my mind there was only one person who should play his character yeah there was some aspects of the video game that were brought in which were kind of cool but like other than that it was just a shitty action flick yeah see i gave it a soft yes because of my affinity for the games and i do think that they evoked the games well i agree the casting was poor when you compare it to the game i think if it was not a game movie and it was just Wahlberg and holland on an adventure movie i think it would have been fine trying to say that those characters are the same ones from the game is a stretch um so i was, I was similar to where you were but i just leaned on the on the positive side yeah, and I'm I'm sick of two of the villains that are like caricatures of villains, right? That they all have like, you know, like the bodyguards that all look a certain way, and like the henchmen 
boss that's all the same. I, I'm just, I'm, no thank you, goodbye. The other movie I watched was Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Nice. That means all three of us have now seen it. What'd you think? One of the weirdest things I've ever seen in my life. Oh, it's life. weird, all right. And I've done uh, psychedelics and hallucinogens <laughs> and other things, and it was a weird and wild ride. Does it make you wanna? Does it make you wanna revisit Rekakuni? <laughs> uh, one of the funniest things I've I've probably seen in my entire life. Uh, that the butt plug fight scene was absolutely insane. Just. Here's the thing, Bill. You always say that it gets a yes or it has high praise if it's something you've never seen or does something that you've seen differently, right? Is that the two parameters, basically? It's either show me something, it needs to show me something I've never seen before, or if it doesn't, it's got to at least execute it really well. Yeah, I mean, it's both. I mean, it does both things. Right. Yeah. On like a 10 out of 10 scale. If that movie doesn't win best cinematography and best editing, uh, at the Academy Awards, and we have a serious problem with the world because that took some serious fucking skill to pull that off. Um, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for those who have seen the trailer or, or you know want to maybe dabble in it, it's going to be weird. You just need to be okay with that weird wild ride because the payoff emotionally throughout the entire movie is a hundred percent worth it. The way they ground it back into reality. And bring everything full circle um, was really cool. Agreed, agreed, hundred uh, percent. I watched uh, two things. One is new uh, or new to me: a documentary that I found on Amazon called "The Real Inglorious ah. Bastards," and uh, it was it's only like fifty minutes, but it's pretty interesting. It tells the story of a few different soldiers that were Jews that escaped from. Uh, various places in Europe during uh, you know the rise of the Nazis. They came to America. They enlisted back in the army, and then they got sent back over to to kill Nazis. Uh, and they willingly wanted to go back and do that, and they sent them on some wild missions. And it's a lot of it was the basis for some of the stuff they pulled from Inglorious Bastards. So it wasn't. It's not really a direct correlation. It was more inspirational. Okay. But it but it tells some of the true stories um, that that were kind of pulled in. The the main one that I could think of that correlates directly to a scene in the movie is when one of the soldiers ends up uh, sort of apprehending uh, one like a big name, a big name German uh, lieutenant. And he has no authority to actually take his surrender, but he does anyway and says like, he lies to him and says like, yeah, sure, you'll get immunity. Yeah, just surrender to me. Like, And it's very similar to the Hans Landa scene at the end of Inglourious Bastards where he kind of surrenders over to Brad Pitt even though Brad Pitt has no authority to do anything or promise anything. And that is sort of based in reality, partially. Um, so it was pretty neat. There are a couple little stories like that. Um, not the best documentary in the world in terms of production value or anything like that, but it was, uh, it was interesting. And this was on YouTube? <laughs> it could have been a YouTube pr- production, to be honest, but it was on Amazon. Uh, and the other thing I watched, I rewatched for the first time since theaters 15 years ago... I watched Superbad, something we had talked about when we recently talked about 2007 potentially being the best year in film history. This was one of the movies that came up, and I decided, you know what, 15 years later, let's give it another go. How have you not watched that movie since the theatrical 
release? I don't know. It just it never came up. Okay, but it was it was great. It was really funny. <laughs> it's a good movie. Uh, it was funnier than I remembered even uh, at times, and I didn't remember the end at all. And it was like such an unceremonious ending, but is so like note perfect for the the tone they're striking. Uh, it was really good. I was very impressed. I, I now remember why it's it's was so significant culturally. The other thing that led me to watch it was I read, I think it was on Vulture, an oral history of the movie where they interview the actors, the director, the executive producers about how it got made, uh, the reaction to it. They kind of take you through the history of that, of the making of it and the release of it. And that really got my gear spinning, which is why I wanted to to watch it. Now that it's fresh in your mind, what's your favorite scene from the movie? Um, you know what scene made me laugh that I didn't remember existed was when Jonah Hill goes into the liquor store and he thinks he's going to try to get it on his own. And like he has a few different imaginations of like what could happen. <laughs> <laughs> like all of them were hilarious. Uh, I just I love yeah. that scene that that made me probably laugh the hardest. Uh, my favorite to date is the home X scene with Michael Sarah um, and Jules and. <laughs> Yeah, everyone yeah. comes in. They get yelled at, and his like his mate is like this kid named Maroke, and he's like putting yeah, a little cat yeah. whiskers on him with the flower, and they <laughs> make the like flower. a they make yeah. a beautiful 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 flowerless tort, and everyone's else shit is just fucked up. Uh, just kills me every every time. Yeah, I'll, now that I have it fresh, like, I will <laughs> I will end up putting it into rotation for sure. I'll revisit it. It was good. Anything anything else, Bill? Before we get into the news, AJ. Okay. Do you know the app Letterboxd? Uh, is this like another variation of Wordle and Wordle and Animal-dle? No, actually. No, no, no. Okay. It's a, it's a social media, quote-unquote, for people to write film reviews. So you have a Letterboxd account. If you see a movie, you give it a star rating. I believe it's out of five. And you can write a review, and then you can see a list of everybody else's reviews, and you follow certain people, and yada, yada, yada. Okay. So I, I get asked a lot. Are you on Letterbox? Why aren't you on Letterbox? You should be on Letterbox, et cetera, et cetera. And I figured I would use the podcast as a way to uh, address that. People uh, are talking about it. Uh, question. Okay. So I'm gonna do you that. couldn't just talk to I'm the four people separately. You had to bring it on the show. <laughs> no, you know, in case it comes up, I want to prevent any future questions. Either. Sure. Okay. Uh, Memo. Release. Go. Letterbox. <laughs> Letterbox. Press release from the desk of shit. I go see it. Letterbox is a site for where people can share their film reviews. Yeah. And I have one of those already. It's called Should I Go See It? I established it before Letterboxd existed. And I've already amassed over 800 reviews. So to, to like transfer those to create an official Should I Go See a Letterboxd account to me is not worth it. And so that's I have my own site for this that I've been doing since 2010. So people that ask about Letterboxd, it's just, I'm just, it's just not worth it. Plus, uh, there's a, there's a, it's just one more thing. It's just one more thing I got to deal with that I don't want to. I don't feel this value there. Okay. Thank you for clarifying. I was up all night looking at the show notes and I was like, I don't know what the letterbox is. What is that? Okay. Um, follow-up question. You said you had how many live reviews currently on the site? I'm at about 850. Okay. Round numbers. Round numbers. What are we doing to celebrate yeah. 1,000? I don't know. I mean, at this, I mean, it's going to take... Uh, probably a year and a half to get there at the pace I'm at. Shit. World could be fucking over by it then. It depends. It depends on... I mean, some some years I can see 80, 90 movies, and then some years I only end up seeing 40 or 50. It depends on what comes out. It depends on different things. 
Uh, I try, I would like to, my goal at some point is to average two a week. And I was building every year to be on pace for two a week until COVID hit. And then it plummeted because so many movies got pulled and we weren't going to theaters and yada, yada, yada. Okay. I have an idea for the a thousandth movie review. You review it, whatever. And then what we do is we rent out a movie theater, like a, a Plex one room, and we do like a Bill George double feature. We watch two of your favorite movies back to back. We drink some booze. We get some food. We kind of celebrate. Oh, I'm in. 100%. Bill in a theater surrounded by his friends who are all talking and uh, having some merriment and ru- ruining his experience. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd have to pick a movie. I would clearly pick a movie I've already seen during which talking is less of a factor for me. If I'm seeing a movie for the first time, y'all better stay out of my way. Yeah. <laughs> but if I'm seeing a repeat, uh, it's fine. Yeah, good idea. Good idea. Mark it. I will keep you posted on my progress. Love it. I love that plan. I love that All right, plan. let's jump in the news, AJ. What is in the news? The never-ending rumors about the next James Bond have made headlines yet again. Leaks from people close to the process say they're looking for a young Bond ideally in his 30s, hard body who can carry the franchise for at least three films. That knocks some well-known names out of the running. We got your Henry Cavills. We got your Tom Hardys, your Idris Elba's. They're all gone. They're too old. They're hard, but they're too old. Bill, now that you have this new intel, who is your pick to be the next James Bond 007? I, you know... I, my, my the, the the short answer is I don't know. I don't really have a pick. It's so hard to say and picture what would work because so many bonds have come around, especially Daniel Craig. When he first took it, everyone thought that would be a disaster. And lo and behold, he's the best. And he started when he was 38. So he was in the later side of 30s. Uh, the window is still open for the guy from Bridgerton, which is apparently like the number one pick a lot of people want. Um, I'm not super familiar with him. Uh, the producers have said previously, though, the producers have said that race is not an issue, um, but, but it does need to be a man and it needs to be, and the, the character will be an Englishman regardless. Um, so Barbara Broccoli, who's basically runs the Bond estate, for lack of a better word, uh, has said that she would rather see roles, more roles written for women versus just gen- versus just gender flipping existing roles like just to make a female bond she feels like doesn't do justice to actresses that want a role like that they should write a role like that but she's in the business of James Bond so she's not going to write it but she does think that that and i think that's a fair point i think just gender flipping it for the sake of doing it uh, probably not done not merited uh, but they did say race is not it's not has it doesn't have to be a white guy uh, but it does need to be an englishman the character is going to be a- english I don't think the I don't think the franchise could tolerate a an American or someone doing a British accent. That would be like blasphemy. It it has to be an English national person. I believe that is the parameters that she's setting. What was her name? The woman's name was Angela Apple. What was her name? <laughs> Barbara Broccoli and Albert. <laughs> Albert Broccoli was originally the person who ran the movies. She okay. uh, took over. So she's basically like the Kathleen Kennedy of James Bond. James Bond. Of the rights to James Bond. Friend of the show, Kathleen Kennedy. The uh, <laughs> the actor's name, by the way, is Reggae Jean Page. And he is... Oh, there you go. Wee wee, Monsieur. <laughs> British, British, British. He is British okay. uh, of Zimbabwean heritage. Good for him. But born in London. That's the Bridgerton guy. Well, he is the 
uh, he's the odds-on favorite from everybody on Twitter. So okay. What what, well, we'll what does Vegas have for the odds? That's a great question. I don't care about fucking Twitter. There, I care about there... the book. The book at fucking MGM. Fucking <laughs> Caesars. Yeah, I don't know. Can we can we find that out? We can Is look it up. Oh, but right. you didn't answer my Do question. You... Who's your pick? <laughs> I don't have a pick. I'm agnostic. I'm curious to see. I trust them. I trust Broccoli. They picked Craig. They did a great job. <laughs> I trust them. <laughs> Sam, <laughs> hashtag believe in Broccoli. What, uh, AJ, who is your pick? It, well, it's and it's funny because now I've pulled up the odds for the next James Bond. And my <laughs> yep. pick is now Vegas's number two pick at plus 300, which is Tom goddamn Holland. Tom Holland? I can't. I can't with Tom Holland. He's got enough. Leave some for the rest of us. I'm just saying. I, I <laughs> He's think, got every franchise there is. All right. Do you want to know what it like? What do you is the Bridgerton guy number one? Reggae Jean Page is plus two hundred. Number Tom one. Tom yeah. Holland is at three hundred. Idris Elba is still at plus six hundred, even though they've said no. Jack Loden is at plus eight hundred. I don't know who that is. And then we can go, you know, through the through the list. But uh, another one that I completely forgot about. Who's taking the triple threat ability by storm? Harry Styles at plus eleven hundred. I would pound, I would pound the absolute shit out of that because not only would it be a James Bond, but could we have the first James Bond that actually does the fucking the song for the theme? Oh, could you imagine? Go on Bavada right now and just fucking pounce on that. <laughs> All right, uh, AJ. Other news. A new Creed spinoff titled Drago is in, de- is in development at MGM. No. Details as to the film's plot are being kept under wraps, but we hear it will center on the Russian boxer of the same name, portrayed originally by Dolph Lundgren in the Rocky franchise, as well as his son, played by Florian Montanu in Creed 2. AJ, I know you love the Creed series, but you also do not love superfluous sequels and spinoffs, so where do you fall? Don't need it. Why do we need why does every person in Rocky's life need a, an origin story and a sequel? I agree. I won't have it. No. And <laughs> Jam will. Drago was a fucking sick villain in the original Rocky series. Don't give me that. And his son in Creed 2 was just it looked like the Greek gods sculpted them with his bare goddamn hands out of bronze. I mean, the guy is yeah, just it's a specimen. built like a brick shit house. He had his time. Like, I, th- I think we're, we're, we're good there. I don't know why we have to keep doing the damn thing. Well, who's going to be next? A- yeah, Clover Lang's yeah. kid going to show up? Do we have a backstory for Adrian or fucking who was his cut man? Mickey? <laughs> Mickey? Mickey. You know? Yeah, I I mean, I already thought the intro of Drago's kid, after we're already basing this on Apollo's kid, was like fishing for fan service, and it was already like Apollo having a kid that boxes was fine. Like that's the premise. But then adding in Drago having a kid that boxes like started to stretch my disbelief. But I kind of I went with it. I went with it. But it now at this point to have Drago have his own movie, like he didn't stand out in the movie where I was like, oh my god, I need to see more of this. Like he was fine. Um. But yeah, I just I don't I don't see it. Just another example of the lack of originality in Hollywood from these stupid fucking suits and these people who are just writing scripts to get their mortgages paid for. Uh, all right, last story, kind of a sad one. Uh, we've lost a number of Hollywood legends recently, including actress Anne Heche and filmmaker filmmaker Wolfgang Peterson. 
Bill, any standout movies you'll remember them by? Yeah, I, you know, I saw these news stories. Very sad. Uh, Anne Heche, um, you know, I growing up, I think the thing that I always remember about Anne Heche is Volcano. I just, I, that's your, that was a great movie back in the day. Um, Six Days, Seven Nights, obviously uh, another big one for her. Uh, she starred in that Psycho remake um, that not everybody liked, but it was still an interesting experiment. Uh, John Q, I liked with her in it. And there was another kind of like little known movie that for some reason I rented when I was, uh, you know, back when you used to rent movies that I rented on a whim because it had Ed Harris on the cover and I like him a lot. And she was in it as well. This co-star is called The Third Miracle. And I watched that movie a bunch of times. I really liked it. So like weird, weird childhood um, fan uh, or since, since childhood fan of Anne Heche. Um, and then for Wolfgang Peterson, uh, Das Boot is was a huge movie for me growing up. My dad loved that movie. We used to watch that a bunch, the um, German submarine movie, Das Boot. But then he also did Poseidon, Troy, Perfect Storm, Air Force One, uh, In the Line of Fire, Outbreak, which had a big cultural resurgence during COVID. Uh, I mean, he was, he, he was a masterclass uh, in directing. So yeah, big losses for sure. I'm not sure if any... Have any personal connection to any of those, AJ? But but that's my uh, uh that's my yeah, super sad. And Hayes had like a really horrible, terrible life uh, behind the scenes, and to go out that way is just really, really sad. Um, so, but they will be remembered. They will be remembered. Bill, in this week's "Should I Go See It?" segment, we'll be talking about three movies: Bodies, 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 Beasts, and Thirteen Lives. Um. According to imdb.com, bodies, body, bodies, when a group of rich 20-somethings plan a hurricane party at a a remote family mansion, a party game turns deadly in this fresh and funny look at backstabbing, fake friends, and one party that's gone very, very wrong. Bill, should I go see it? Yes. An enthusiastic yes. Whoa! This movie surprised me. Uh, I did not have many expectations for this, which check the tape. If you go back to previous episodes, I had said I had bought a ticket for it, had no idea what it was, but I would see it. And I ended up seeing it. And boy, did I really, really enjoy it. Like literally one of my favorite movies of the year so far. What? Yeah. A Pete Davidson movie is your favorite film (laughs) of the fucking year. (laughs) He's pretty good in it. I will say. Um, Uh, All right. Let me. So let me let me set the scene for you. It's from A24. It's a horror comedy, but horror is a little bit of a stretch. So if you're thinking, oh, I don't like horror, like, don't worry about it. It might be listed as horror, but it's not really that. It's more of thriller, thriller comedy. Uh, Like the description said perfectly, 20-somethings, Pete Davidson's uh, parents are rich. He's got one of their houses, I guess, for the weekend. Uh, and he invites everybody over, and there's a hurricane slated to happen, so they have flashlights and food and uh, drugs and alcohol, and they're going to like wait out the storm together. So it's like a storm party. Uh, then they decide to play the game Bodies, 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 which I think there's a bunch of different names for it. I don't know if it's a regionalism thing. Uh, when I used to play it, it was called Mafia, but like one person is a killer, and the lights go out, and then like they... they one person randomly assigned being the killer through you know names and a hat. Lights go out. You mill around. Somebody touches somebody on the shoulder. That person's dead. Lights come up, and you accuse one another and try to figure out who the killer is, type of thing. So they start playing that, 
Um, but then eventually someone actually ends up dead. And that is where the story really begins. And it gets crazy and interesting. And it's a mix of the thriller and the comedy, more comedy than, than thriller. And it's just really smart, really well-written. It's original. I just, I liked it a lot. I highly recommend it. Two things. Uh, the term mafia for this game is derogatory towards uh, Italian-Americans. So let's think of a different name. I like body, body, bodies, body, bodies, bodies. <laughs> I apologize. Uh, I'm merely stating what it was in my time. I'm just of, of, a, of a time. Got it. No, I, no, I get that. Uh, second thing is totally does the movie know that it's a joke of other Like, I'm trying to word this and frame this in a way of like, does it know what it is? Oh, 100%. And it, okay. And in the writing, it kind of skewers Gen Z a little bit. Um, not in an overt way, uh, but it's you got It's hard to explain without really seeing it and seeing how the characters interact. Um, but I think it's really, really clever the way they do it, and all the writing, the performances are super naturalistic, and the writing is very realistic as well. Like nothing feels forced, and they do a great job introducing the character dynamics by making you just watch how they interact and kind of catch up. There's no exposition. There's no character saying something to somebody else that in real life they wouldn't because they already know that. Um, they expect you to just kind of keep up with the audience and figure it out. So I just, I really appreciated how it was made. And it's like, it's one of those movies that some people may not like it um, if they don't like the genre, they don't like the style, but nobody could tell me with a straight face they didn't like it because it was bad, quote unquote bad. Like it's just, it's not, it's so well done. Nobody would argue that. So I definitely recommend it highly. So attractive people, sex, drugs, alcohol, violence, and comedy. Yeah. I mean, oh, sign me up. That's <laughs> a, a, a night of the movies right there. Bill, <laughs> uh, let's go on to Beast next. So according to imdb.com, a father and his two teenage daughters find themselves hunted by a massive rogue lion intent on proving that the, that the Savannah has but one apex predator. La Savannah, what a bitch Bill, should I go see it? <laughs> yes, yes. This is a let's go. This is a surprising yes for me. Um, but it's a it's a it's a lean little thriller. Like it's a simple movie, but it, it you know when I was joking about it before, saying it's basically Jaws but with a lion. I mean that's pretty spot on, and the movie just Love delivers it. on that. I mean, it's it's a now, simple concept. Uh, I have a couple questions. My first question Please. is: so it's about a rogue lion that basically, like we talked about last time, it's that Val Kilmer movie, Ghost in the Darkness, where it's oh yeah, yep. hunting people. Okay, so yeah. it's, it's like that. If you could put a personality or a character on the lion, do you think the lion's more of like a Mufasa type lion protecting his homestead, or a Scar like lion just out for? chaos and agent of chaos type. yeah um uh, yeah no it's a scar lion 100 <laughs> percent. oh wow it's like the t-1000 of lions it's <laughs> no emotion it's a mech lion as opposed as opposed to all those other lions that uh, go to their like office jobs and sell insurance all day well like i don't know if it was like you know the the turning point at the end where like you realize that like idris alba is actually not like a guy on safari but he's actually a poacher and we're now rooting for the lion that he just had a needle in his paw the whole time and he was uh, upset because it hurt him (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> no, I mean, the movie sets up early on. <laughs> the movie sets up early on that there are poachers in this world. Okay. And the poachers take out some of the rest of the pride. Okay, no. Which creates sort of the bloodlust for the lion to start going rogue now, and just. Now we're in a Mufasa people. territory where you're fucking up his homestead no. and he's here to fucking rain revenge and no. keep the pride intact. Yeah, it's called Stand Your Ground, Bill. It's on the law in the books in like 48 states. <laughs> It's, it's called leadership. But the, but the, 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 Look it up. <laughs> no, because eventually it does, it goes beyond just protecting. Like, he's, like he goes on a hunt. You know what I'm okay. saying? Yeah, best defense is good offense. So it's it's a little different. That's where it's more of a scarf. A scar, I was going to say Scarface. Scarf How are we situation. looking in terms of uh, gratuitous violence and gore? Uh, pretty good. It's There's some pretty good gore. I mean, so here's the thing. The it reminds me of the movie Crawl. Do you remember that movie Crawl that came out a couple of years ago, the alligator thriller? Vaguely, it reminds me of that. Except this CG is much better because that movie was hindered by the fact that every time I looked at the alligator, it looked dumb. Oh wait, they didn't use a real lion. No, so that <laughs> slight downside, no real lions in it, which is a shame because like I, there are lion tamers out there, right? Like, isn't that like a whole thing? Whether it's a circus or film, there's got to be lion tamers out there. But no, they do it with with effects. Probably not to piss off the pet of people. I don't know. But they have CG lion, and the the lion looks really good. Like the effects are great. Um, and there are moments where, it, like, here was the difference. When I watched that crawl movie, it was hard for me to suspend disbelief because the alligator looked so dumb. And, like I couldn't get nervous for the characters because it just felt phony. This, on the other hand, like my heart definitely got got going a couple times like it's a really well done thriller um and what's interesting about it is the way it's shot because it's it's almost all in handy cam like steady cam handheld and it's shot with long takes like each individual scene is almost basically a wonder uh and the camera is very close up in steady cam and so you basically as the audience member it's edited and shot to feel like you are like the fifth member of the party and you're just kind of like walking around with them and you get their perspective. Like something's just out of sight, just like the character. Like it's really interestingly directed. Uh, like I said, super lean. Um, you know, he's got a haunted past, whatever, but there's not too much exposition. It's the writing's fine. It's, it's a little forced at times, but it's not bad. And you know, it's them fucking on the Serengeti or whatever, trying to stay alive. And it's, it's pretty thrilling. Um, so I, I enjoyed it. Haunted past, haunted past doesn't mean shit when you're face to face with <laughs> fucking nature's. Yeah, with the king with the king of the jungle. Ringer. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like this is the type of movie that's going to be a hit on Netflix. It's like short, exciting, throw it on at night, turn the lights off, makes popcorn. Like I think it's going to be a big hit in that regard. Uh, so I, I dug it. I, I dug it. It was pretty good. All right, so we're two for two on yeses this week. Are we going to go for a yep. third? We're going to talk about 13 lives. Uh, according to imdb.com, from Academy Award-winning director Ron Howard, a rescue mission is assembled in Thailand where a group of young boys and their soccer coach are trapped in a system of underground caves that are flooding. Bill, should I go see 13 lives? Yes, Absolutely. It's fantastic. It's on uh, Amazon Prime, and I highly recommend it. Uh, it is based on a true story from 2018, if you will recall, uh, where you know these kids get trapped in a cave, and well, they go to the cave. They're exploring the cave. It's like a it's a touristy cave you can walk right into, 
so after practice, they all go there to hang out before someone's birthday. And then a monsoon hits, starts to flash floods, and the entire cave fills up with water. And now they have to try to get the kids out. And so this was on the news all over the place because people from different countries were all coming in. Like everybody was trying to help and trying to figure out a way to get the kids out of the cave because they, once it fills with water, the diving to get to them was incredibly difficult. It's narrow, it's dark. Uh, it, it was treacherous to get just to, just to try to find them because they're six hours into the cave based on how long it takes to do the dive to them. Uh, and they, I mean, at first they didn't even know if they were alive. It's crazy. It was crazy. Um, how they actually get them out, I won't say because like it's incredible. Uh, and I didn't remember. I went in fresh. I remembered seeing it on the news, but I didn't really know what the story was. So I kind of went in pretty fresh to this. And I think that made it more interesting to me. So I don't want to say what ends up transpiring. Um, but it is a really, really well done drama. How Ron Howard is this? Like on a scale of subtle Ron Howard to like, big crashing scores in the middle of scenes out of nowhere. Like, what are we looking at? Like, this, how dramatic is this? This is on par. Well, stylistically, it is very similar to Apollo 13. Oh, that's why you're, that's why you're just. Because you know. I love, so this is interesting because after I wrote my review, I went back and read the AV Club's review and some others. And what I loved about it, apparently other critics didn't. Uh, I love the fact that it is, is as straightforward as possible. It is a procedural. It's like Apollo 13, Zodiac, Dark, Zero Dark 30. Like it, there's text on screen. There's timestamps. There's an overlay map of the cave system to show you where the characters are with like the elapsed time underwater. Like it takes you day by day, minute by minute through what happened. And I love that. No backstory, no haunted past. We're not diving into characters. There's no flashbacks. Like this is what, how it went down. So I dug it. And it was still dramatic. I still cried. But it was from the circumstances of the events. It wasn't the director like forcing me, like manipulating me into crying. You know what I mean? Meanwhile, a couple of reviews I read said things like they felt like the characters could have used more time or more backstory for Viggo Mortensen or whatever. And I, I don't. I personally th- disagree. Um, so I loved it. Viggo Mortensen, by the way, is in it, and I haven't seen him in a minute, so that was great. Yeah, Colin, how's he doing? He's great. Colin Farrell's in it. He's great. Um, those are the two main actors you would know are Vigo and Colin Farrell. Uh, then the most, the rest of the cast is basically Thai uh, actors, so it's authentic in that way. Um, so I, uh, again, I really loved it. The only thing to be aware of that was a little weird when I watched it on Amazon Prime, subtitles were not on by default. So I started watching it. And I'm like, oh, maybe this is in a different language in the opening scene. And then eventually... But like what they're saying doesn't matter. So like eventually the subtitles will turn on when they need to. But I'm like watching like a pretty lengthy scene with no subtitles. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I should know what's going on. So I turn on the subtitles. Sure enough, there is English subtitles. But the only English subtitle option also includes description. So every once in a while, it'll be a subtitle of what they're saying. And then it will say like, you know, intense music plays or rain amplifies or like those types of things. So that was took a little getting used to, but I figured it out. Um, so that was a little strange so just be on the lookout for that if you start watching it and you're like what the hell are they doing just check your subtitle options a little weird sort of Um, like a squid game squid game situation yeah a little bit a little bit where you want the you want the sub not the dub sub not the dub yes for sure for sure same thing with Dragon Ball Z I want the sub yep not the dub 
but the but the movie is very very good. It's riveting. The underwater sequences can get your heart racing. If you have anxiety about being in like closed spaces, like yeah, I don't want to be do careful. It. <laughs> yeah, uh, be careful with it. It's it is also two and a half hours. I mean, it tells the whole story. Um, so lock in for it's that. Two and a half hours, and people wanted more backstory. I guess I don't know what these. What people are we doing here? But I'm telling you, the 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 true story of it is just unbelievable so it's it's a must watch i think uh let's move on to our last segment uh netflix and bill william what are you watching house of the dragon yeah first episode of the game of thrones the first of many game of thrones spinoffs uh aired this last week uh as of this recording so i did watch s1e1 of house of the dragon and you know i thought it was pretty good I, it's it's a it's a pilot so to speak so there's a lot of table setting and it's hard to say what the show will be like exactly but it's uh it, it was it's competently made looks beautiful acting seems strong Matt Smith in particular I think is a great casting choice uh, so I'm I will keep watching I will say that uh yeah I was pleasantly surprised I mean C plus B minus in terms of just like overall like it was it was good. There are a few things that they need to figure out. And like you said, it's a pilot, so it's a lot of table setting. But the focus and depth on some character development versus other character development that's supposed to be main driving forces in the show from just like context clues and trailers just seemed like a weird investment of time in the first episode. But I get that, like you said, like... Yeah, they they play the long game with these things. Yeah. Play the long game, yeah. But overall, like it, it felt energetic. It was hyper violent. Um, there were some very graphic scenes uh, that that popped up. Um, yep, I was into that. It felt like old Thrones. It felt like old Thrones, and I think if they can get a good rhythm of storytelling and not fucking with time and distance and all the things that kind of plagued the last half of Game of Thrones and really focus on like the characters and the tensions and yeah. you know the the politics and the backstabbing then we're I agree. If they can nail the the palace intrigue element of it cuz that was always my favorite part of seasons like 2 3 4. If they can really nail the the meetings at the table and the chambers and the, the throne room and just like the palace intrigue, I'm totally into it. What the big question mark for me is, uh, well, I guess the, the thing that's so odd about it as a prequel is it takes place 200 years before, it's about the Targaryen family, but it's 200 years before Daenerys Stormborn of House Targaryen, first of her name, Queen of the Andals, Protector of the Realm, et cetera, et cetera, Breaker of Chains. It's 200 years before that, which is such a weird choice because like, there's a positive to it, which is that they have enough runway where they can tell new stories that won't be predictable. Like, they're not beholden to, like, I'm, I know where this is going to go because it has to connect to XYZ. Like, they have enough runway to, to do new things. But the downside of that is with no direct connection to the original, there's no cool aha moments. There's no young versions of characters. Like, we're well before anything we know. So it's like, it's kind of a weird in between spot. And I'm just really interested to see how they validate like even telling this story to begin with because even in thrones you know we talk about this all the time with story writing is it needs you need to get out start in late and get out early just tell the most important part of the story and with the thrones story the first story they told was the beginning of the the winter the long winter if you will 
they got in like the first scene of the first episode is the the White Walker showing up, and so like it begins, boom, we're gonna talk about, we're gonna tell this story, and it ends with that ending and the throne being destroyed, and so they they told a complete story and they're done. And even in that show, they reference the Targaryens, but they always talk about Aegon, uh, which was before this show. So this show is like in this weird middle ground where it's not the excitement of Thrones and it's not the stuff that the Thrones people always talked about. It's in between. So like, is so like they need to yeah. They, so because they talked about their like parental generation, right? Like the Mad King and all that, and they also talked about yeah, the first ever to do it, right? Aegon with the. But this is in the middle. So, like, how do they justify this being worth telling? And that's what we'll find out, obviously, throughout the course of the show. But I'm just curious to see if they're able, able, ever able to really justify that. And and I'll keep watching to find out. That, that was one of my exact thoughts, right? We're not focusing on the Mad King, and we're not following the doom of Valeria and how Valeria fell, and then Westeros and Estos became a, this kind of new conglomerate and this new kind of thing with the Iron Throne. It's a little bit after that, but well before the Mad King, and we're in this odd portion of history, which, like you said, there's a long game here, and there might be things that set up that we as readers, or I didn't read the book, so there might be things that are that will be aha moments, but yes, at first glance, very weird on how we were entered into the timeline here. Yeah, it, it also makes me really want to rewatch the first Game of Thrones, to be honest with you. It just reminds me of how good that show was, and it makes me want to watch it. So maybe I'll do a rewatch at some point. What else you got? What else? Oh, I watched the, another show that premiered, a big-name show, uh, She-Hulk, the new Marvel show. I watched the first episode of that as well. Uh, another one that I will keep watching, and another one that is full-on table setting. Like, There's no real uh, depiction of what the show will be, because it should end up being sort of a, a, law, a law show. She's a lawyer. Um, and it's supposed to be like a comedy law show, but this entire first episode just sets up her being She-Hulk. So, um, and Mark Ruffalo is back as Hulk, and it was entertaining. Uh, the effects, you know, they got a lot of press ahead of time about them not being very good, and it's hit or miss depending on the scene. But that actually didn't—I didn't bump on it too too much. Um, so, you know, it was it was pretty fun, and I'll keep watching and see what happens. I heard really shitty things about it. Uh. I don't know. I mean, I didn't think there was anything there that merited being really shitty about it. The thing that is selling me on it is Tatiana Maslany as the lead. She is just incredible. I watched her for the first few seasons of Orphan Black, where she won her Emmy. Um, she's an outstanding, outstanding star, frankly. Uh, so I am going to give her benefit of the doubt. And she was really good in the first episode. So I'm basically watching for her at this point, And we'll see how it shakes out. Something else, AJ, uh, not watching but listening. I started the audiobook of Heat 2 because it wouldn't be a should I go see a podcast without a little discussion about Michael Mann's seminal classic Heat. Can we just stop? Like, can uh, we just stop? Can we just stop? Every single fucking episode, it's Michael Mann's <laughs> seminal classic fucking Heat. <laughs> Maybe I'll like, stop what when are you we see doing it, AJ. Here? How's that? I don't want to. Okay. Well, anyway, I started the audiobook of Heat 2. And I stopped the audiobook of Heat 2. It's not very good, and I don't like it. <laughs> oh, that was a plot twist. I know, right? So the whole prologue of the book, it just recaps the events of Heat, which I'm very familiar with. And then it gets into like picking up where the movie ends. And I started listening to it, and I realized I don't really want to know. Like I don't, I don't care. I liked, I liked how Heat was. I don't really want to know what happens to these characters. And I hated the narrator, the voice of the guy reading it. He's like in constant Christian Bale Batman voice the entire reading of the book. It's terrible. 
terrible. So I gave up on that. And instead, I started a new audiobook called Dead Wake, which is about the sinking of the Lusitania, which brought America into World War I. And it's written by the guy who wrote The Devil in the White City, very popular book that is turning into a movie, I believe. And it's great. It's fantastic. I have a couple hours left. I've been burning through it, and I absolutely love it. So Dead Wake, if you're looking for an audiobook, <laughs> outstanding. Or maybe even just a book book. Yeah. Also true. Also true. And finally, I watched uh, the season four finale of Westworld, a show we've talked about on and off. Yeah. How's uh, that going? Nah, not great. I lost, I lost a lot of interest throughout season four. Wow. Uh, season five renewal is unclear. If it comes back at all, I might watch it. I don't know. It's, it wasn't very good. That's wow. What a, what a fall from grace. Truly, season yeah. one is one of the best seasons of television, period, uh, ever, history. And then it just, yeah. We've seen it a couple times, though. We've seen it a couple times so far, especially on HBO. They, uh, they have some weird shit about writing episodic content for some of their series. We saw True Detective, right? Season one, True Detective is a masterpiece. And everything after that's dog shit. So, I don't know. Figure it out. Who's the Kathleen Kennedy of HBO? It's the new guy that's cutting that everything. Be, uh, We've got rid of the uh, back row show. Uh, Karen, Karen Cucumber. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a callback. Oh, fuck. Real quick, speaking of HBO, they did show the first teaser for The Last of Us show, which, oh my God, am I excited for that show. Hated it. What? I fucking hated it. What are you talking about? What do you mean, what am I talking about? What? It looks like the game, and it's got Pedro Pascal. It looks great. Again, there's only one person in my mind who should be playing. Well, Ellie. You got to expand your mind. You got to expand your mind. I don't know what to tell you. It just does. It looks great. I can't, I can't freaking wait. And the part one Last of Us remake that's rebuilt for PS5 comes out uh, in a week or two. And I'll probably play that game for the third time. Wait, uh, I thought they already which, did that. I thought they already redid it for PS5. No, no, it came out originally on PS3. They did a PS4 remastered. Oh, they're doing it again for PS5? But now it's rebuilt from the ground up with PS5 to take advantage of the haptic controls, redo all the environments, and they remodeled the characters so they look more like The Last of Us Part Two versions because they're more advanced at this point. And so there's more continuity between the two games. That's pretty so wild. I will play that uh, Good probably for you. again. And I bought a ticket to see another uh, small horror movie called The Invitation. Uh, so I'll probably review that next episode. What am I watching? Not much, Bill. Uh, but thank you for asking. And <laughs> we'll see you all in a few weeks. All you do is tell me about how television shit and there's nothing to watch. So I figured you don't have anything. There is shit. Everything out there is a fucking reboot of a remaster of a fucking same idea. I got nothing. It's all trash. It's all garbage. Fucking Hollywood sucks. Thank you for listening to this podcast about Hollywood <laughs> that we do every two weeks. <laughs> uh, make sure to follow on Instagram at should I go see it? <laughs> <laughs>